following sermon is from Faith Bible Church, located in Murrieta, California. More information about Faith Bible Church is available at www.faith-bible.net. So I've got to ask you something and see if you know the answer, and that's how do you know when a news anchor is lying? Do you know what to look for? Do you know? How do you know when a news anchor is lying? Are you ready? The answer is pretty profound. When they talk, okay? (laughs) That's the day that we live in. I think you'd all agree that our news media is not necessarily always the purveyors of truth. Is that sarcastic enough for you? Uh, How about politicians? Do they always tell the truth? Interesting enough, we are swimming in advertising, which often misleads us towards the truth, we typically now in our culture swim in a cesspool of deception. We really do. And yet, as a Christian, I don't think you're surprised at all because you know that the spirit of truth and the word of truth and the Lord of truth has told us very, very clearly that this lost world is going to listen to the father of lies. Are they not? Take a look at the verse there on your outline, the very first one. Read it out loud with me, John 8, 44. And don't forget, this is Jesus Christ describing our great enemy. This is him telling you about him. So listen to what he says and read it with me out loud. Here we go. Ready? You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father, He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Amazingly, our society is built upon a fabrication of lies. It's truly incredible when you understand the network of deception, the manipulation of truth, we shade the truth, we bend the truth, we cover it over, we rewrite it, we ignore it, we pound in lies over and over and over again until they appear as truth. That's our society. But before we get too mad about all the deceptions out there, let's take a look at our own hearts. Can we? Have you ever found yourself exaggerating? Ooh, Okay, guys, (laughs) all right, how about cheating or misrepresenting income tax deductions? Or how about promises that we don't keep? How about this, we agree to come and we don't show. Ooh, ouch. We sign up, but we stay home. We say yes, but we live no. We betray confidences as if it was just a normal process of everyday life. We too battle with honesty and telling the truth, and we often battle with lies and deception. Would you say an amen to that? We do. So how do we survive? What do people do today? People do. Uh, If we're swimming in this ocean of deception. Where's the rock that's going to keep us from drowning under the lies of our day? How are we going to do business? How are we going to do relationships? How are we going to work and get along and trust one another to the degree? Well, the world would say liars. I mean lawyers, okay? 
and, and contracts. But in the first century, really legal help was, was very, very rare. So what are you going to do? Well, back in the first century, what they did is they began to promise or oath or vow so that you would know what you're saying to them is the truth. That's what they would do. They'd convince others they're telling the truth in order to come to an agreement, to be able to get along, to be able to sell something, buy something, they would give an oath. I swear that this is the truth. Now, you've said oaths. You've made promises. I know you have. Uh, You've backed them up. You used to say when you were a kid, cross my heart and hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. Okay, at least that's the way it went with I am, my, my, my world. Uh, you might now say, well, I swear to God, or, uh, you know, God is my witness. This will never happen. A society that, like ours, is increasingly saturated with lies leads to impose oaths in order to encourage trust and force others to be truthful and to make people keep their promises. But credibility, you would agree, is rare today. It's rare. In fact, so we must say something to be trusted, or we must in a sense, in this world, do something to be trusted in order to do business and to find justice. And even in the most corrupt societies there is and ever have been, they understood the necessity of truth, particularly for justice. Particularly. I mean, when you go to a court of law, it's your to tell the whole truth, you know, nothing but the truth, correct? Tell the truth, nothing but the truth, and the whole truth, and everything. you you got to make sure. And yet, without truth, justice is absolutely impossible. It cannot happen. And that's because, uh, obviously, it's based on justice and truth. And so, therefore, because truthful testimony is crucial for justice, then perjury has very severe crimes to it, very, very severe punishments to it. Even the mafia who uses deception in their criminal activities, even they, within the family, everyone must tell the truth, right? You don't lie to the godfather, correct? You can't lie or are you going to suffer punishments? Listen, Christ follower, born-again Christian, if you're here, you can't lie to your Lord. You can't. He's the truth. His word is truth. He's indwelt you with the spirit of truth. Therefore, his children are to be known for truth, honesty, genuineness, a reputation of honesty. In other words, you're to love honesty and you're to hate deception. When you're dealing with your kids, there should be something extra going on when deception's involved. You cannot have relationship with anyone if you cannot trust them. That must be dealt with. But in the first century, Jesus had some work to do. Because deception was so prevalent and oathing was so massive that he had to expose the errant process that oaths had become. Promising had become. Vowing had become and get his children to pursue his heart for truth. The Jewish rabbis said they loved truth and they hated lies. And I don't know if you knew this, but the scribes actually said there were four sins that would basically usher you out of God's presence, okay? Four biggies. Lying was the first one. Then scoffing, hypocrisy, and slander. But one of the four great ones here was lying would shut you out of God's presence, and they knew it was essential. And so they made great efforts to appear to be honest and truthful. They loved the idea of appearing truthful in principle, but not in practice. 
And therefore, they began to use oaths as a way to appear truthful, but actually be fraudulent. They would say an oath, but figure out how to give an oath so you would think it's the truth, but it would be a lie. That's what they did. That was their culture. Now, it's different from our culture. But an oath became a vehicle for them to get away with lies and deception. That's what was going on there. And Jesus now attacks that manipulation. He goes right after that manipulation of truth and their excuse for duplicity in the Sermon on the Mount. If you're new with us, we're working our way through the Sermon on the Mount. Open your Bibles, if you're not there already, to Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 to 37. 33 to 37. Now, this is the fourth time, the fourth paragraph in this section after Jesus says, I came to fulfill the law, all right, it's a good thing, God's word, and then he said, look, you've heard it said, but I say to you, you've heard about the lies of the oral tradition. You've been taught that, but I say to you the truth of God's word. And what he's wanting to expose here is, you've heard it said, this is how you can say an oath, but it actually is not binding. But Jesus says, I say to you, you keep your word. You keep your word. That's what God intended from the very beginning. Now, in these five verses, you're going to hear three things, okay? You're going to hear, number one, he describes the original Mosaic teaching. In other words, the teaching of the Old Testament. Number two, the perversion of that teaching by the oral tradition that had taken place over hundreds of years, but the rabbis have been teaching, and all of a sudden, everybody's following that and not the Bible. And then thirdly, his own re-emphasis of what God's standard for truth has always been. Do you think that our Lord stands for truth? Do you think he loves truth? Does he want you to speak truth? Does he want you to lie? No, that's the enemy. All right? So let's read it out loud together, okay? Can we, from your outline, uh, in a New American Standard version, the one that Paul and Jesus and everyone else used, okay, here we go. Verse 33, everyone together. Again, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no, anything beyond these is of evil." Listen, write it down. Here's your thesis statement for today. Those who follow the Lord of truth speak the truth. Those who follow the Lord of truth speak the truth. Point number one in your outline, Christ's command for credible talk from the Old Testament. Christ's command for credible talk from the Old Testament. Verse 33, again, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. Now, as the Lord teaches on the slope of the north side of the Sea of Galilee, his disciples are around him. There's more disciples around him. There's this massive crowd listening in. It's a beautiful, acoustically sound day. And he begins this, and he quotes a composite of truth. So he takes the truths that come out of the Old Testament law, and he gives you those truths summarized by these phrases. You say, where does he get it from? Well, he's saying, you've heard this. This is true, what you've heard. He gives three verses out of the Old Testament. They're listed in your outline. Leviticus 19.12. Take a look. You shall not swear falsely by my name, so as to profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. Numbers 30, verse 2. If a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to bind himself with a binding obligation, he shall not violate his word. Let me rewrite that. 
You shall not violate your what? Your word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. You will do what you say. Christians, you say what you mean, you mean what you say, and you would do what you say. Right now, I don't want you to vow, but I want you to say, I will do what I say. Ready? Here we go. I will do what I say. So important that we begin to develop that character. That's what he's pushing for here. You do what you say. Deuteronomy 23, 21, when you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay it, for it would be sin in you, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you. Jesus says, you already heard that the word teaches, do not make false vows. Make certain you fulfill also your biblical vows and oaths. You fulfill your promises. Can I put it just basic? You keep your word. When you say something, you do it. When you say something, you do it. You keep your word. It's a, it's a binding contract, even if you don't oath, even if you don't promise. You keep your word. Now, circle, if you would, the two vows that are found in verse 33. See them there? There's two of them. The two vows mentioned there are from two different but related Greek terms. The first, the false vows, means to perjure yourself, to swear falsely, to make false claims. The second vow, which is there, fulfill your vows, means to enclose, uh, a picture, if you would, a fence around something, uh, or to bind it together. You know what he's trying to say? The original root of that word is to, to tell you that it's solid, it's protected, it can't be altered. That's what he's trying to tell you. So the truth of the oath or the vow is enclosed, it's bound, it's solid. Now an oath is strengthened by that which is invoked on its behalf. So a clear description of an oath is described Look at Hebrews 6.16. This kind of describes an oath or a promise. For men swear by one greater than themselves. I tell you, in the name of God, I'm going to do this kind of thing. And with them, an oath given as confirmation is an end of every dispute. Did you get that? When you say that, it's supposed to be, that's golden. That's not going to be broken when you give an oath. And that's not what was happening in the first century. When they were making promises. So look at this. The name of something or the name of someone, all right, greater than that person making the oath is invoked to give greater credibility to that which is said. So in the name of God, I'm going to do this kind of thing. So any oath calling on God, his name, his person, invites the Lord as a witness to this contract. So he's witnessing this and he's going to avenge it if you don't do it. That was the original intention of an oath. So get this, an oath was generally taken to be an absolute truth, Hebrews 6.17 tells us, the end of all disputes. In other words, you're having an argument, but you go, I oath, I promise this is true, then it's like, well, that's solid, because God's going to get you if you don't keep your word. And you've invoked that, so to speak. So his calling on God to punish him by giving an oath or a vow or a promise if he doesn't keep his oath. So an oath, like a vow or a super promise, given to affirm the truth. It's given to affirm the truth of what you're saying. So in saying that, please don't misunderstand, in the Old Testament and in the time of Christ and today, it doesn't mean that Jesus is condemning all vows. He's not. He's not condemning all vows. He's just condemning the false ones, the misleading ones, the ones that you don't keep. The Bible does not forbid taking oaths or giving oaths 
in a world filled with liars, there's the necessity sometimes for people to actually have to swear or to promise. Many of you in this room have made binding oath vow promises, correct? You have. You said, I do promise before God and these witnesses to be your loving and faithful, what, husband or wife, correct? That was a vow and a promise, a sweet memory for me, but it's a moment where you have vowed to God and in front of all these witnesses who are supposed to beat you up if you don't. At least that's my interpretation, okay? So it's not wrong to take an oath when testifying in court. It's not. Or being ordained or getting married. Oaths to God are, are, are not wrong. They are wrong only when they are misused with the intent to deceive or when they're made rashly or flippantly or they're not kept. You disobey them. God's word gives examples of godly men who oathed. The, the Bible contains commands for how to give an oath. And the Bible records instances of God himself making oaths. Oaths are not bad. Are you with me? You got it? It's just the misuse of them that's bad. So in the Bible, you'll find Abraham uh, dealing with oaths in Genesis 21. Joshua 2 records the oath of Rahab. David swore an oath to Jonathan in 1 Samuel 20. Jephthah made a foolish vow in Judges 11. Paul made a vow in Acts chapter 18. So biblical characters are making oath. And then add to those oaths in Luke chapter 1 the oath that God swore to Abraham. In Acts 2 describes the oath God swore to David. And in Exodus 6, it's the oath of giving the land of Israel to Abraham and his descendants. God oathed, and people oathed. So again, not all oaths and promises are wrong. They're not all sin. It's Jesus exhorting here for you to, verse 33, what's he say? Fulfill your oaths. Fulfill your vows. Keep your vows. By the way, you shouldn't be flippant with promises. You shouldn't be flippant with oaths, right? Or your word. So obviously, Christ is not making a blanket restriction against all oathing and promising here, okay? Or earth oath taking. Just make certain you understand every single promise you make to whoever is always made to God. Every time you oath to anyone, you're making it to God. Every single time. Make certain you know that. You answer to the Lord for your promises and your oaths and your vows. You answer to the Lord for your words. Your words. The Bible's really clear on that. Christ did not forbid oaths in the name of the Lord, but in verse 34 and 36, he says, I'm forbidding them, look at what it says, verse 34 to 36, by heaven, by earth, by Jerusalem, or a body part, in order to make others think you were telling the truth when you were actually lying. Now, in their sinful minds, the oral tradition had led them down a path that they think they could make an oath and make others think that that oath was to God, but your oath was really deceptive. It was only to a place or it was only to a thing. And so they say, that was a lesser oath. And Jesus is going, no, 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 no. You make an oath, it's good. All right? There's no separation here. So what Christ is forbidding here is the flippant use of oaths in everyday speech, especially any oath that is used for deceptive purposes. So they would sell you an item and, it would, and they'd promise it was true, but they wouldn't promise by the name of God and therefore it was a non-binding oath, which leads us to number two, the Pharisees' corruption of credible talk. The Pharisees' corruption. What they did is they used all kinds of tricks in order to develop 
uh, uh, deception, uh, develop a way to lie to people, and oaths were a part of the big top of the list, way in which they deceived. When you look at 34 and 35, to make their victim believe that the truth was being told, the Jewish leaders and the populace would say, well, I swear by heaven. I swear by Jerusalem. I swear by the earth. I swear by my own head. And they would not use the holy name of God. They wouldn't use Yahweh. They wouldn't refer to him at all. But in actuality, Jesus is trying to let them know when you give an oath, you're actually doing that. You're actually doing that by heaven and earth. You're actually making an oath to God. Now read what he says in verses 34 to 36. Take a look at it. It says, But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it's the throne of God, or by earth, for it's the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Now, there are two things that Jesus is trying to destroy in the first century culture. Two things. You have them there in your outline. So I wanted to make sure you wrote them all down. So you didn't write them down, so I wrote them down for you. Okay? And there are two evil practices that Christ wants to wipe out in the first century. So let me give them both to you. One, in the Jewish world, there were oaths that they were binding. Subpoint. listen. All oaths were binding. But they had invented certain oaths that weren't binding. And that was the problem. They invented oaths that weren't. So any oath using the name of God considered binding. Any oath where God's name wasn't directly mentioned was not binding. This came out of not God's word, but the oral tradition made this distinction. And this is evil. When you say something, you mean what you say. You do what you say. That's Christian character. That's Christian character. And they violated all that. They violated it all. The idea was, once God's name was used, then that became, you know, a binding oath because God's name became making him an active partner in the transaction, and they taught that the Lord did not become a partner unless his name was invoked, and that was the difference. So the result of this process is that it became a matter of skill and manipulation to speak an oath. It sounded super binding, but it wasn't binding, and they'd get away with lying to you while making an oath. This ultimately made a mockery of the whole process of making an oath to anybody. You'd promise, but you didn't have to keep it. The second, second, during the first century, it just became incredible that almost everything was an oath. Almost every transition, an extraordinary amount of oath giving. So when oaths became commonplace, they ceased to be respected. Everybody, you know, you're oathing five or six times a day, and you didn't remember half of what you said. So sadly, the practice frequent oath stating was proof of the prevalence of lying. It was just constantly a deceptive culture, like today. In an honest society, oaths are rarely needed. Yeah, it's true. Uh, Men, you know, when they can't be trusted to tell the truth, and do they have to be under oath or give an oath in that situation? It's only when that happens, when you can't really trust them. They need to do that, and it became all the time in that particular culture. So look again at verse 33. You shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. Again, some vows are good, but what appears on the surface to be in harmony with the Old Testament wasn't because they had invented a new way. The rabbinic teaching hold, again, the vows that were said to the Lord, those were binding. The ones that were said not using his name or his character, 
but some other holy thing, were not binding. So they could lie to you. Uh, this is, how do I picture this? Um, okay, Lonnie's over here. Hey, Lonnie. Sorry to put you on the spot. So Lonnie, he loves me. He stands up and he goes, Chris, next week, I promise everyone here, I'm oathing that I am going to bring you a Vente Light Ice Chocolate Almond Milkshake and Espresso decaf. Lonnie, he's that kind of guy. But Lonnie's standing there and his hand's behind his back and his fingers are what? That's what they were doing. Lonnie would never do that. But that's what they were doing. They would say this to you as if it was really going to happen. I promise I'm going to do that. But it's like their fingers are crossed behind them by the words that they would use. And that's what was happening in this particular situation. The leaders and even the people of the populace were attempting to deceive others. They'd swear by heaven, earth, Jerusalem, the temple, their own heads, anything sacred except the name of God to hide their deception. And it was almost as if you'd hear the name of God, but you wouldn't because it would be so eloquent in the way they articulated. So take a look at the screen. I had to kind of write this out for you. So basically, I want you to see the text kind of laid it out for you so you could understand that they fulfilled their vows to the Lord, all right, <laughs> to the Lord, and, and by heaven, by earth, by Jerusalem, or by your head. Now, secondly, why is that? Well, Jesus makes it really clear, when you make an oath by heaven, it's also to the Lord, and, and, right? And then when you make an oath uh, to earth, it's also to the Lord, right? It's the footstool of his feet. And when you make a, an oath to Jerusalem, it's also to the Lord because it's the city of the great king. It's his. And then when you, you know, make an oath to the Lord, to your head, it's also to the Lord. So why? Because heaven is God's throne. The earth is the Lord's footstool. Jerusalem is the Lord's city. And your head is under the sovereign hand of God. It, it all belongs to him. Are you getting this? Do you see how it's laid out there? Jesus just makes this rockin' clear. You make it to the Lord, well, all these other things are to God as well. And that's what he's trying to tell you. You can't fake people out by saying, well, a lesser thing, I can lie. You're still doing it to the Lord. And that's what was happening in their culture. They were lying and lying and lying and lying. And all those things that you're swearing by are the Lord's. And therefore, when you're swearing an oath to one of those things, you're actually swearing an oath to the Lord, and it must be kept just as much as an oath made to God's name is a binding promise. Well, these are binding too. When you make an oath, a vow, a promise by other items, you still are making it to the Lord. Are you getting the point? It's always to him. Your promises, what the leaders and others were doing was they were belittling God. They were saying, I can fake God out. And the second thing is they're making a mockery of sincere oaths. They were belittling God and making a mockery. So what does that mean? Some of you are going, hey, it's pretty obvious that, you know, the heaven is the throne of God, earth is the footstool of his feet, Jerusalem is the city of the great king. What's this, your head, you can't make it white or black? Anybody understand that? It's pretty clear, all right? When he says, if you swear by your head an oath, what you're saying is, I'm telling you the truth, and I swear that if I'm lying, I, I, I'll lose my head, okay? It's going to get cut off. Uh, they're, they're bargaining is true. I'm so not lying that if I break my word, renege on my agreement, you can cut my head off. Wow. Boy, sounds powerful, doesn't it? But it's not to God, so in their minds, they can what? Violate it. Now, what does Jesus say, you know, about your head? He goes, you're not in charge. <laughs> you know, you have no control. Listen, who holds the keys of death in Hades? Who? Jesus does. 
Okay, so, so you can't say, well, I'm going to cut my head off because you're not in charge. In fact, you're so not in charge, you can't control the color of your hair. Is anybody with me on this? Okay, that's what he's talking about. Okay, I, only God can do that. Now, you can cover it up with hair coloring, and some of you do it well. But you cannot control the color of your hair. Now, some of you know I have been coloring my hair. I have. I have. It's true. It's called godly gray for that righteous reverend look. Okay, so that's what we got. Now, you don't, you don't know me when I was a kid. But I got to tell you, all the way up until about seventh grade, my hair was absolutely, completely blonde. With no, no. And, and then somehow, you know, adolescence hit, and it started to turn strawberry blonde. And then it turned light brown. And then it turned darker brown. Then it turned to really, really dark brown. And then this gray stuff started showing up. That's when you met me. And then it went from lighter gray with, you know, brown to, you know, lots of gray with brown. Now just gray. Now just gray and white. I have had zero control over this. Is anybody with me? Can I hear an amen? Amen. All right. That's the point. He says, you have no control over your life. You have no control over the course of your life. You can't swear by your head or a body part because you don't know if you're going to live or die today or tomorrow. You have no course at all. Black, white, your hair is totally under. Yes, you can cover it. You can fake people out. But underneath, it's still what? Whatever he determined it's going to be. Correct? That's the point. And in fact, it's wonderfully summarized by William Barclay in verses 34 to 36. He summarizes that. The quote's there in your notes. It says this. Here is a great eternal truth. Life cannot be divided into compartments into some of which God is involved and others in which he is not involved. There cannot be one kind of language for the church and another kind of language for the shipyard, the factory, or the office. There cannot be one kind of conduct in the church and another kind of conduct in the business world. The fact is... God does not need to be invited into certain departments of life and kept out of others. He is what? Everywhere, all through life, in every activity of life, he hears not only the words which are spoken in his name, he hears all words. And there isn't and cannot be any such thing as a form of words which evades bringing God into any transaction, we will regard all promises as sacred if we remember that all promises are made in the presence of God. When you make a vow by other items, you still are making a promise. Yeah, listen, don't stop. Christian, when people don't know, it's still before the Lord. When you're signing papers and no one's there, it's still before the Lord as a Christian. We live by a different standard. We hate the father of lies, and we love the Lord of what? Truth. And so when no one's around, just your family, or there's no one watching, it's still you're answering to God for how you deal with IRS agents, your spouse, your kids, your friends, your parents, sales opportunities, salesmen, authorities, even uh, lawyers, sorry, by swearing an oath by some sacred thing or person, I swear on my mother's grave. No, no. Even given assurances. Speak the truth. This is what you're called to do. Speak the truth. You're indwelt with the spirit of truth. When you're filled with the spirit, you're going to speak the truth. You are. 
Those who follow the Lord of truth speak the truth. Listen, friends, a spirit-transformed heart will reveal itself with honest speech. It will. How people speak is the most revealing test of their true spiritual condition. Did you get that? Next to your thinking, your speech is the greatest revealer of what's really going on inside of you. Your speech. It's no wonder that Jesus declared in Matthew chapter 12, the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. So your mouth is just declaring what's already there. It is. Your heart is a storehouse, and your words reveal what you keep inside that storehouse. That's what it is. What the Lord is calling for here is credible, honest, truthful speech in all of life. Now, we're in a society that's saturated with deception and lies. Saturated. So it's even harder now than it was when I was a kid. It's harder. So, praise God for the grace of God. Amen? That he's forgiven you and cleansed you and washed you. But that's not an excuse to just randomly lie or deceive. We have to work at standing on the truth. The truth of any situation. In fact... Truth has no degrees. It has no degrees or shades. A half-truth is a what? Whole lie. It is. God has no standard lower than absolute truthfulness. His desires for you have been, Psalm 51, truth in the innermost being. God especially hates a lying tongue. Proverbs 12, lying lips are an abomination of the Lord. And God's heart on lying is summarized best in Revelation 21, verse 8. You know what it says? It says... The destiny of liars is the lake of fire. That's what it says. So, number three, Christ's clarification of credible talk. Christ's clarification of credible talk. He says, but let your statement be yes, yes, no, no. Anything beyond these is what? Of evil. You didn't get it. So let's try it again. Let your statement be yes, yes, no, no. Anything beyond these is what? Evil. Now, see the word there, statement, the Greek word? That word in the original text can simply be translated word. And what Jesus is saying here, every normal, everyday word in the course of daily speech is to be a truthful word. Your speech should be unadorned, unqualified in regard to its truthfulness. Christian, your regular daily conversation with your buddies at work with your friends at school, when you're hanging out, when you're talking on the patio after church, all of it, are you ready, is to be as true as an oath or a promise or a vow. Your normal speech is to be as truthful as any oath you would ever given. And James counsels the same. Look what he says in James chapter 5, verse 12. Above all, my brethren, do not swear by either by heaven or by earth or any other oath. You see what's going on there in the first century. You know now what's happening. But let your yes be yes, your no, no, so that you will not fall under judgment. Those who follow the Lord of truth will speak the truth. James and Jesus are exhorting you to have your normal conversation be so honest, so credible, That generally, you don't need an oath as a crutch. You just speak the truth. And Jesus is calling for simple, straightforward, honest speech. Write it down one more time. Say what you mean and mean what you say. And you ready? Add to that. Do what you say. When you say, 
you will do. Your word is your bond. Your word, this is missing today. Your children need to be taught, honey, you said this, you're going to do it. They need to be taught to keep their word. Absolutely essential that they learn this now, that we model this for them. We keep our word. Christians are those whose yes is yes, no is no. People of integrity don't need to swear elaborate oaths to convince anyone of their truthfulness. And Christians of character will not swear falsely to deceive people. I promise you when you know it's not true. That's why Jesus adds at the end of verse 37, what's he say? He says, anything beyond these is of, say it, evil. Our God is a holy God. His kingdom is a holy kingdom. His people are to be a holy people. His righteousness is our righteousness. And anything less than his righteousness, including anything less than absolute truth, is unacceptable to him because it is evil. It's the opposite. It's you're now working for the enemy when you lie. And so the Lord is shattering the glass of the use of deceptive oaths by the hypocritical Pharisees and the populace, which they used in order to hide their manipulation and their lies. Now, again, Jesus, does he prohibit all oaths, yes or no? No, he does not. Especially those that are God-centered, Christ-exalting circumstances, an oath is a good thing. A wedding vow is a good thing. Amen? That's what it is. But under normal circumstances... Oaths and promises are unnecessary for those whose hearts have been made honest by being born again. You didn't create that heart. He created that heart. Those who follow the Lord of truth speak the truth. So let's, let's take a moment and take this home, okay? So letter A, follow with me. Jesus teaches to respond to circumstances. He wants you to make sure we demonstrate a love for truth and genuine honesty and a hatred for deception. These letters now are demonstrating how am I going to hate lies and love the truth. Are you ready? So letter A, speak with simplicity, not complexity. Speak with simplicity. Jesus says yes means what? Yes, and no means no. That's it. Answer succinctly and authentically. Just a single word will do. Yes, or no. Now, would you please either nod your head up and down or shake your head no. Okay, ready, right? And then answer this question. Do you want that? Do you want that kind of credibility? Anybody? Okay, I see some nods. I see some people. I'm not going to participate because he's going to say something. All right, I got it. I've blown my credibility. Listen. Obey your own word. Obey your own word. It's one of the things that actually helped Gina and I in our marriage. When we said something, we did it. We just made sure that we kept our word. Whatever it was, we kept our word. Obey your own word. When you agree to pay a debt, doesn't matter if it's a contract or not. Pay the debt. You said you'd pay, pay. Keep your word. When you vow to be faithful as a husband or a wife, a simple I do is all you need to actually secure your faithful fidelity. Just I do. That's all you need. Permanently seal it. When you say, I'm going to meet you at 5 o'clock, then that means that you follow through with your commitment and you show up at 4.59. Because I'm going to be there at 5. I'm going to keep my word. 
Again, circumstances sometimes occur, but we're going to keep our word. If you say, I'm going to volunteer for a season at school, or I'm going to volunteer for a season at church, then your yes is enough to show up every week until your commitment is satisfied. You understand? You keep your word. This is what he's talking about. Yes, yes, no, no. You say what you mean, you do what you say. That's character. That's Christ-like. That's what pleases our Lord Jesus Christ. Keeping your word. An elaborate oath isn't needed because you know that anytime you promise to someone, you're promising to God. Are you getting it? He's aware of all your words and this is all his creation. So when you promise here, you're promising to the creator. You are. When you say, Tom, I'm going to be there, you actually said, Jesus, I'm going to be there. That's what you said. Tell the truth, keep your promises, keep your word, speak simply. That's Christian character. Are you ready? Anything else is evil. And this is gone from our culture, and it's crumbling in the church of Jesus Christ. It is. Letter B, speak the truth, not deception. Speak the truth. What this means is that you think the truth, you filter everything through the word of God, you means you know the truth, and as you know the truth, you think the truth. As you think the truth, you speak the truth of God's word, not piously, but practically. It's just like the word's going to come out, and it's going to filter what you say. You're going to go, my yes is enough, so you're not going to make an oath unnecessarily. You're going to say, I need to trust not my own understanding. I need to trust the Lord. I need to trust him. I, I believe that God is working all things out together for good. So I'm going to live that way. I'm not going to panic. I know he's in control. I know he cares for me. He says he cares for me. I'm going to think that way and not walk under this insecurity. But I know he cares for me. And his thoughts toward me are more than the sand of the seashore. They're infinite. I'm going to keep rehearsing the truth because as you speak it, as you think it, as a result, you will deceive others and you will deceive yourself less. As you speak the truth, think the truth, let her see. Speak with edification, not severity. Speak with edification, not severity. Ephesians 4.29, you know this verse. Let's look at it one more time. Let no unwholesome word, what? Come out of your mouth. But only such a word as good for building up, edification, strengthening, according to the timing is so important. Sometimes the timing, you got to be very careful. According to the need of the moment. So that what? It will give grace to those who hear. Look what Paul says. No rotten words are to be spoken. None. Take certain words out of your vocabulary, men and women. Take certain words out of your vocabulary. Stop saying them. Leave only those words that build, that encourage, that strengthen, meaning they edify. We used to have Mark Driscoll who would cuss from the pulpit, modeling to Christians that those words were okay. Now we've got Doug Wilson speaking inappropriate sexual comments all the time, and it's okay in the Christian world. It's not okay. It's not okay. Those are not manly words. Those are inappropriate words, and they are not to be spoken. Do you understand? We are different than the world. Train yourself to wait to speak. Make your words intentionally timed to meet that specific need at the moment. That means you will be quiet and think more. This is all about me, not you, okay? Any talkers here? Anybody? Would you raise your hand if you're more verbal? 
just for a second? I, I just need some encouragement right now. Okay, thank you. This is our deal. Speak words that point to God's grace. Grace to those who hear you. Genuine compliments, building them up, steaming their giftedness, their strength. Speak with edification. Letter D, speak with doctrine, not feelings. Speak with doctrine, not feelings. Far too many believers speak emotionally, not doctrinally. Far too many Christians today are all about emotion and feelings and experiences. They only speak the truth when they're moved emotionally. They only obey God or build up others when they feel like it. Everything with Christ is only spiritual for them if they feel something. How they feel about Christ is what their talk is all about. Listen, friends, the Christian life is not about what you feel. The Christian life is about what you know and who you know. All right? Animals live by instinct. People live by feelings. Christians live by what? Truth. They live by truth, doctrine, the word of God. Some believers don't feel like going to church. When their emotions are gone, they're tired, it's too late Saturday night, they attend church, it just wouldn't be real worship. It wouldn't be sincere if they went. And so they don't obey God's word to come, and they don't feel, and therefore they don't come. That's not how we got our lives. Since they don't feel like showing love to their spouse. They don't feel like respecting their husbands. It wouldn't be spiritual action for them, so they don't do it. They don't feel like reading the Bible. It's, it's a dry experience without emotion, so they don't do it. Why? Because no emotions involved. Therefore, it can't be genuine or gospel-driven. Listen, that is self-deception. Obedience. Their entire life is just, that's secondary. Their entire life's getting their emotions back. They gotta have emotions or they think they're not sincere, but in reality, what they've done is they've made a God out of their glands. You know what their idol is? Feelings. That's what they worship, feelings. This is not an appeal for a hollow, dry, rote, uh, ritualistic, going through the motions Christianity, but a call to repent of constantly surfing to find your waves of emotion. Surf's up. You and I need to speak and live by conviction. Listen, write this down. Do what is right until it feels right. Do what is right until it feels right. Just like oaths were keeping believers, believers from speaking honest, emotions are keeping believers from speaking truthful. But the genuine Christian is dependent obedience, with or without emotion. Hey, the emotions will come, they'll go. Are, are, are they capricious? Is that a good word? Are, are, do, can you count on your emotions, yes or no? No, then don't live your life by them. Count on what you can, you know, put your life on what you can count on, which is truth. Obey because that alone pleases the Lord. Dependent obedience. So you choose to love your spouse when you feel like it or not, because that's what spiritual Christians do to obey God. You attend worship because you trust God to change your life and to work in your life with or without emotions. You serve others when you're weary and tired, when you don't feel like it. Do you think Jesus felt like ministering the long hours that he did on the earthly planet? I mean, he did not. He obeyed. Because to be like Christ, you keep serving. You speak to others with edifying words. Even when you don't feel like it, you obey because it's right. Don't follow your emotions. Follow Christ as revealed in his word. Speak doctrine. Speak God's word. Reflect God's character whether you have emotions or not. Listen, friends, you walk in obedience. You do what's right. Emotions will follow. Sometimes, sometimes not. Sometimes it's, the joy is so overwhelming, it kills you. I mean, it's just such a wonderful thing. But you don't live for that. You don't live for that. Speak the truth. Speak with simplicity. Speak honestly. 
Speak buildingly. Speak biblically. Listen. Christ only blesses. He only honors. He only rewards the truth. Amen? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this challenge for us to be honest and genuine, to keep our word, to be men and women of character. And Father, if we've found ourselves in the cesspool of deception, maybe it's indicating that we don't know you. We don't have that inner strength. We aren't dwelt with the Holy Spirit. We don't have a new nature. And Father, draw those people to yourself and have them cry out for salvation. Have them cry out to, to, to have you save them and forgive them and cleanse them and make them new. But for the rest of us, help us to learn to keep our word to do what we say and be men and women who can be trusted without oaths, without promises, and we'll give you all the glory for what you'll do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening today. Sermon audio from the last three years is available by podcast, and a larger archive from Chris Mueller and Faith Bible Church can be found at media.faith-bible.net. And if you would, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps a lot. Thanks, and have a great day.